This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. I hope you guys had a good week. All right, guys, let's talk about my kids. So I get the question often. Why do I feed my kids keto, low carbish, and not fully carnivore when I am a fully practicing carnivore? And in today's episode, I really wanted to dive deep into why my kids or why I decide to feed my kids the way I do. So, when I first got into nutrition, I used to think, okay, the easiest thing is remove carbs, remove sugars, and then all will be well. And then there was minimizing processed foods and oils. Let's reduce the inflammation in the body. Let's manage insulin sensitivity by removing a lot of the glucose spikes, and then everything would be good in nutrition, right? And then I started getting into nutrients, and then not only just making sure that we eat all the nutrients, but also that we are absorbing the nutrients. And then I started getting into other lifestyle factors such as sleep and minimizing stress, and obviously all the mental health aspects. But with proper nutrient absorption, we also have to consider anti nutrients and other cofactors and other minerals and nutrients that all sort of have to work together to have this perfect cascade of digestion and absorption and all this other good stuff. So I'm really starting to delve into all of this with nutrition and I'm picking and choosing my battles with my kids. Frankly, the more I look into nutrition and varying components and dependencies, I noticed that. There really is a case where you can make against every single food in the nutrition space of why something can be bad. But there are some things that I hold to be true, such as anti nutrients. And an example of anti nutrients in plant foods is phytic acid. And phytic acid is in grains, legumes, seeds, and nuts. And they block nutrient absorption, such as iron, zinc, magnesium, phosphorus. And then we have lectins. And lectins are found in legumes and grains, and they also block absorption of minerals, such as calcium, iron, phosphorus, and zinc. And they just interfere with the digestive process.、And、then there's the notorious oxalates, which are enzyme inhibitors. These are in the spinach, the nuts, the potatoes, the raspberries.、Uh, so they. Cause a lot of major digestive issues. 
There are other anti-nutrients. Uh, I have a blog post and I'll link to it on my notes, but um, I think the point of all these anti-nutrients is that there are certain foods that cause certain nutrients or enzymes to be inhibited and really impact the way that the gut and the digestive system works and they block nutrient absorption. The crazy thing is it's not just from the foods that you're eating, but if you're eating foods, let's say that foods that have zinc and magnesium with these anti-nutrients, then you are likely not absorbing any of the magnesium and zinc and phosphorus and all those good nutrients in all of your foods. Now they say that you can soak and sprout and all that other good stuff, but what about almond flour? How are you going to soak and sprout your almond flour? I know, so this has been very sad and disheartening for me too, but again, you have to pick and choose your battles. And so for me, I have been shying away from the almond flour now and leaning more towards coconut flour. And the reason is that almonds seem to have multiple anti-nutrients and even if you soak and sprout, it doesn't remove all of the anti-nutrients. Additionally, most almond flour, I mean, you can't soak and sprout it unless you make your own almond flour after soaking and sprouting, but frankly, it just seems like a lot of work just to use almond flour. So I'm really just digging into this now and I'm fascinated by the research. I'm trying to come up with this sort of magic list of what foods have the least amount of anti-nutrients if I'm going to feed them to my kids and I'm sort of working on that right now and um, I'll definitely share it with you guys if I create that list and I'm hoping to get it out soon. So that all said, it kind of seems like, well, then just feed your kids carnivore. But the reality is our bodies also have a thing called hormetic stress. So our bodies should be exposed to a little bit of toxins and a little bit of stressors and what that really does for our bodies is make it stronger. Just like how hard times and good times and all these different moments in our life make us more resilient. I believe that hormetic stress, it allows us to maintain balance and homeostasis in a changing environment. So let me give you an example because examples are always good, right? So let's talk about exercise. When we exercise, we are actually putting stress on our bodies. In turn, our bodies become healthier and stronger because of it. And exercise causes stress on our bodies, which is why most people recommend working out in the morning because your stress hormone cortisol is at a higher point at that time. So it's good to ride that stress wave uh, with exercise. We don't overtax our body by working out late at night and then releasing a lot more cortisol again at night. With exercise, our body is able to cope and exceed the burden of the exercise. So the net result is a positive outcome. The exercise stress expands our capacity for our muscles and our overall health when we exercise. When we exercise, we end up producing more ATP and thus more energy. So the thought is the same with blueberries. Blueberries actually do cause stress in your bodies. It's the polyphenols. Because blueberries cause a little bit of toxicity in your body, it causes a hormetic stress that will then upregulate glutathione production in the cells. And again, the glutathione production outweighs the negative of the toxins of the blueberries. And so this is why many people believe that blueberries are antioxidants and they're beneficial. But this is an example of why nutrition is very individualized. You guys know if you've been following me for a while, so I'm very, very all about bio-individuality, your genetics, your lifestyle, your history, the way you've been eating. Because if we take blueberries, for example, blueberries and fruits in general tend to have a little less anti-nutrients than grains and legumes, which have multiple anti-nutrients. But if somebody has blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance, they may do better 
by removing fruits so that they don't have the fructose spike in the liver. And so same goes with raspberries. If you look into the nutrition of raspberries, raspberries actually are very, very low on the glycemic index. So from a keto perspective, they're a great fruit, very lightly sweet, tangy. But from an anti-nutrient perspective, unfortunately, raspberries are very high in oxalates. And so going along with hormetic stress, we have immune cells and our immune system is made up of a variety of different types of white blood cells. And these white blood cells protect our body. And one of these white blood cells are called memory B cells. And these memory B cells remember invaders so that the next time you are exposed or your body is exposed to that antigen or allergen, it knows exactly how to attack that foreign matter and also protect the body and your immune system. Then there are also studies that show based off your genetics and where you're from, you may be able to tolerate certain foods compared to other foods. There's some where they say if you're from the northern climate, you can handle certain types of food versus if you're from the southern, more tropical climates, you might be able to handle more fruits, for example. I've heard of some studies where people from Asian descent may have a little larger of a liver and so in turn are able to handle rice better. Therefore, they may not have as much of a blood sugar spike eating rice compared to people from the Western culture. There's also the resistant starch factor. It is said that if you cook a potato or cook some white rice and then you immediately refrigerate it, something changes in the chemical structure of these foods that when you then heat up the food and then eat it, there will be a lower absorption of glucose. The best way to test this is to consume white rice and potato the normal ways we'll eat it, and then try to do it the resistant starch way. So cook them, refrigerate immediately, take it out once it's completely cooled down and then heat it up and then see how your blood sugar is that way. All right guys, so I know that was a mouthful, but this is a long roundabout way of saying that nutrition is very complex, that everyone is bio-individual. I'm trying to figure out what is the best way to feed my kids. Since we have a Korean background, if I were to cook the rice in a resistant starch way, I were to soak and sprout it to make sure that maybe some of the arsenic, maybe some of the anti-nutrients are primarily removed, and assuming that we really do have a slightly bigger liver, then is it that wrong for them to eat rice? And so this is sort of the these areas that I'm really thinking about and also just sort of testing out right now. What I do know is that animal foods are the most bioavailable and nutrient-dense foods. Uh, we saw that with Weston A. Price visiting all the different indigenous people and what they ate, how their facial uh, bone structure was as well as their teeth and how everything they look great until Western food came in and then started damaging their facial structures as well as their teeth. So my kids still primarily focus on grass-fed beef and sometimes uh, because of the cost, unfortunately, we do eat conventional meat as well. But because we remove so many of the processed and toxic foods and bad oils and sugars, I think our bodies can handle a little bit of the grain-finished meats. Because really, if that's the only sort of toxic that you're putting in your body, I think your body can handle it. I think we're not giving our bodies enough credit. Our kids literally live off of organic pasture-raised eggs, grass-fed butter, and I mean, if they eat the conventional ones, sometimes they do because, I mean, not everywhere we go has the better quality ones. So I will always incorporate and make priority the animal kingdom foods. So liver, and they love chicken liver pate. But I also want to expose my kids to hormetic stress. And the reason is, 
if they decide when they're out of the house that they are going to eat some processed foods and hopefully I've taught them enough about nutrition that they will know the, what's right and wrong. But say that they want to go out with their friends and they decide I'm going to just eat pizza tonight and drink some beers with my friends and buddies. I don't want them to have only grown up eating meat that they may potentially get sick. That it's the first time that their immune system has to deal with stress and that their body cannot handle it when they're like 20 or 18. So I would like to help build their immune system. And so far for me, this seems pretty logical. And I'm not saying that I'm giving them all this crap. I'm just saying that I'd like to incorporate a little bit of toxic foods. And so that's why I want my kids to be exposed to a little bit of everything so that their bodies can handle it. So their bodies can recognize a certain antigen or allergen and they can just, the immune system is strong enough that they could just remove it and then they continue on their healthier way of eating. As they grow, I will check their glucose more often in the morning. I actually poke them every once in a while in the morning to just sort of get a pulse on their glucose to make sure that they're okay. But depending on as they grow older, their numbers, their health markers, and their glucose. If we need to make changes in their diet, then I am planning on doing that. I'm not married to any diet or dogma um, in terms of nutrition for my kids. I will do what works best for them and what will make them thrive. And that's what is the most important to me. Also personally, since I come from a place of disordered eating and I've struggled with that and a little bit of anxiety and depression and all that uh, mental health stuff, I don't want my kids to have a weird relationship with food. I don't want them to think when I go to university or college or I go to studies outside or hang out with my friends, I'm so used to eating meat and I am different and they have these weird relationships with food and I don't want that for them. I don't want to make that decision for them. I want them to make that decision for themselves. And so I think being on keto, being on low carb removes so much of the toxic foods, but it allows them to have exposure to, again, a little bit of everything. So if we go to a birthday party, for example, I know that it's gonna be a sugar fest. I used to be like, no sugar at all. But then I realized that's a little extreme. I know that their bodies can handle glucose and insulin. Their bodies can handle that way better than when we're adults. And so now what we do is we just sort of figure out a balance. So I talk to them and they know now by now, but if there's cake or there's a cookie or there's cupcakes, they sort of get a taste a little bit of everything. So they maybe in total will have the amount of sugar that maybe a small cupcake has, but at least they get to try it and they don't have to feel deprived or excluded because the reality is we're human and we're naturally wanting to be connected. We want to feel included and we don't want to feel excluded. And being excluded is also sometimes just being different. And as a young child, you can't differentiate that I'm okay, that I'm different and everyone else is the same. So it's a balance. Um, I definitely am aware of this area. And so I try to talk to my kids, help them to understand why we may do things differently and that's okay. But in terms of going to birthday parties and other social events, I allow them to taste things and I hopefully have instilled enough education where they can also make the right decision. I hope this explains why I choose to do carnivore and I am very focused on animal foods for my kids but I ultimately want them to make the decision if they are going to go full carnivore when they're older. Alright guys, I hope that this has been helpful. I do have a nutrient dense book and a menu, like a sort of lunchbox plan for kids with 
fruits that are lower in oxalates and low carb options. So definitely check that out. I'll put that in the notes. I also have a carnivore diet beginner's guide as well as a bone broth nutrient dense guide. And I have a weekly blog post that I update probably every two weeks. So I will put all of that stuff in the notes. Make sure to check it out and leave me your comments. Let me know what you think. Make sure to subscribe. All right, guys, I will talk to you guys next week. But until then, make sure to eat a lot of meat, eat a lot of good fats, and take care of yourselves. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.